On this show, we compare the best parts of our childhoods and argue which decade was better, the 80s or the 90s. In this episode, we'll be discussing which decade had the best arcade game, the history of 1987 versus 1997, and if the 1990s shoe fad, the Reebok pump sneaker, would fly today. Which decade was better? You can help us decide. So stick around for this episode of 10 Years Apart. We're going back, 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 way back. It's the 10 Years Apart podcast. 80s versus 90s. With Adam and Scott, Scott, Scott. Welcome to the 10 Years Apart podcast. I'm Scott, one of the hosts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adam. Adam, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you. So this podcast is all about comparing our childhoods. My childhood was growing up in the 80s and Adam's in the 90s, making us 10 years apart. In this episode, we are going to be comparing which decade we thought had the best arcade game as a child. I'll pick my favorite arcade game from the 1980s, and Adam will pick his from the 1990s. Then we'll debate on which arcade game was the best, and you can also vote which arcade game was your favorite from those decades. You can vote right here if you're watching us on YouTube by clicking on the poll in the top right corner. Or you can vote on any of our social media at 10 Years Apart Pod, or by visiting our website at 10yearsapart.com. After we get through our debate on the best arcade game, we'll also have our segment which we call Does It Fly Today? where we look at a movie, song, or a product from either the 1980s or 1990s and discuss why we think it faded away and if we think it would hold up today. On this episode, we'll be looking back at a 1990s shoe fad, the Reebok Pump Sneakers, and asking, would that fly today? That'll be a little later, so stick around for that too. And before we get into our best arcade game debate, we're going to start off with the first segment, which we call A Year From Our Past. A Year From Our Past. In A Year From Our Past, we'll be doing a brief history look back at a year from each decade and what we remember from those years. So Scott will be looking back at 1987, and I'll be looking at 1997. I'll get us started with 1987. Some popular movies that were released in 1987 were The Princess Bride, The Untouchables, Robocop, Lethal Weapon, Good Morning Vietnam, Full Metal Jacket, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Spaceballs, Wall Street, Over the Top, Hellraiser, The Lost Boys, Dirty Dancing, and The Predator. The winner for Best Picture at the Academy Awards for 1987 was The Last Emperor. And the highest grossing movie from 1987 was Fatal Attraction, with $320 million worldwide. Some popular movies released in 1997 include Goodwill Hunting, Life is Beautiful, Titanic, L.A. Confidential, As Good As It Gets, Boogie Nights, The Full Monty, Gattaca, Lost Highway, Starship Troopers, Jackie Brown, Men in Black, Con Air, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. The movie that walked away with Best Picture Oscar for 1997 was, quite obviously, The Titanic. And the highest grossing film of that year was also Titanic, with a worldwide gross of $1,843,000,000. So I thought 1987 had some great movies that came out in that year. I was quite surprised that Fatal Attraction was the highest grossing movie of that year. Yeah, that surprised me as well. But uh, 
there's also a huge difference between the amount of money that Titanic took in compared to Fatal Attraction. Yep. Uh, 1997 had some really good movies too. I mean, Titanic, I actually really like Titanic, and I think we covered that in the first episode of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Goodwill Hunting is one of those movies that is in my top 10 of all time. LA Confidential was actually really good, and I didn't see it in that year, but I remember watching it later and thought, man, how how did I miss this movie? Lost Highway was a movie I wasn't that much into, but I know it's a movie you really like. Starship Troopers was fun, but I think a lot of the fans of the book did not like that movie, but I don't know for sure. 1987 movies. I mean, Untouchables is one of my highest ranking movies of all time. I really enjoyed that movie. Mm -hmm. Not a big Robocop fan, but I know a lot of people out there do like it. I loved Lethal Weapon. Good Morning Vietnam. Wasn't a big fan of that. I like Robin Williams, but a lot of people like it. I wasn't into it that much compared to some of his other movies. Full Metal Jacket was one, you know, one of my favorite actually war movies, even though it's more about the training. Over the Top is a weird one. I put that in there because it's actually one of my favorite Stallone movies. That's the arm wrestling yeah. movie, right? Yeah. It's just fun. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it was uh, quite entertaining for me. The Lost Boys was a movie that had a big impact on me. and uh, I was really into the actress in that movie who played Star. I don't know what her real name is. but Dirty Dancing, I wasn't a fan of, but it's a popular movie. And Predator, like Commando, is one of my all-time favorite Schwarzenegger movies. And Hellraiser was one of my favorite books. It was actually a novella from Clyde Barker. I think it was called The uh, Hellbound Heart. But I really uh, enjoyed that movie for a horror movie, and it was one of the first times the amount of uh, gore in it kind of shocked me. Mm -hmm. And the effects, I thought, were great. And the best picture, The Last Emperor, I, yeah, I don't remember it that much. And Titanic, obviously, I remember that and would have to say that probably Titanic is the better of the two. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure because I don't remember The Last Emperor. Mm. But again, as always, both had some good movies, some hit and misses. Yeah, I really liked uh, a lot of the 87 releases, especially Full Metal Jacket. I'm a huge Kubrick fan, so um, the first half of that movie that takes place in Paris Island, you know, like as you said, it's, it's about training the new Marines, and um, pretty famous story behind that is how they hired the guy who plays the, the drill sergeant, they hired that actor just as kind of a consultant, but then they eventually liked him so much, and they thought he would be, like, he would give a great performance, which he does in the movie. Um Planes, Trays, and Automobiles, yeah, I think is classic buddy movie. I really love John Candy. Yeah, good, like, entertaining, funny movie. Like, good one. I think it's John Hughes who made that as well. Uh, yeah, I, I also like Hellraiser. I think uh, Hellraiser is very gory, but yeah, pretty pretty scary movie. Um, some people think that the second one was better. I watched the second one. I was like, eh, it's not that great. I think uh, the original is much better. For the 1997 releases, yeah, I've seen all of these Um the ones that stick out most for me, uh, Goodwill Hunting, yeah, great movie, LA Confidential, Boogie Nights, I thought was really good. That was kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson's sophomore feature film, his first one being Hard Eight, but uh, Boogie Nights kind of put him on the map because Mark Wahlberg's character had like this enormous penis that you see towards the end of the, f- the film. That's why you liked it? No, I just think that's why it kind of gained popularity. Uh, Lost Highway, yeah, as I said, yeah, I'm a, I love David Lynch. I love basically everything he does, even though he's kind of a weirdo. 
Men in Black was fun at that time for me. I was in middle school, so I kind of like that sci-fi action uh, feel. And yeah, I know what you did last summer was kind of just, you know, a, one of these movies that kind of saw the success of Scream and just tried to emulate it so it would have like a similar success at the box office. And some hit music in 1987. We had U2 with With or Without You. Rick Ashley's Never Gonna Give You Up. White Snake, Is This Love? Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. Gloria Estefan with Rhythm Is Gonna Get You. Midnight Oil with Beds Are Burning. Aerosmith, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Billy Idol with Money Money. Wang Chung with Everybody Have Fun Tonight. And Tiffany with I Think We're Alone Now. And the song of the year from the Billboard Top 100 was Faith by George Michael. And the song of the year for the Grammy Award was Somewhere Out There by James Horner. Some hit songs from 1997 include Puff Daddy and Faith Evans' I'll Be Missing You, Spice Girls' song Wannabe, Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly, Elton John's Candle in the Wind, Meredith Brooks's Bitch, Third Eye Blind's Semi-Charmed Life, Blackstreet with No Diggity, Hanson's Mbop, Song of the Year on the Billboard Top 100 was Candle in the Wind by Elton John, and the song that walked away with the Grammy for the best song was Sonny Came Home by Sean Colvin, a song I've never heard of. Yeah, me too. I don't think I've heard of it. Maybe if I heard it, I would know it, but I've never heard of the singer or the song. Yeah, must have flown under the radar. Uh, the Puff Daddy one, that was the, uh, the police song, wasn't it? Yeah, he kind of... Every, every breath that. you take. Every breath you take. He sampled that that song for this one. The Elton John thing, I do remember that being an older song, but he re-released it. Yeah, the first one was dedicated to Marilyn Monroe after she died. The 1987 songs, there's some good ones out of that. None of those I really like, except for a few. Mm-hmm. But they're quite popular. I mean, the Rick Ashley one became popular with, what do they call that? Being Rickrolled on the internet. Uh, White Snake has some good songs off that album. Appetite for Destruction is one of the best rock albums, I think, of all time. Midnight Oil was an Australian band that was pretty popular. Aerosmith had been around for a while, you know, even bef- long before the 80s, but, you know, that song was quite popular. Billy Idol was a big thing in the late 80s, and Money Money was a classic song, and, and uh, Everybody Have Fun Tonight was quite popular. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany's I Think We're Alone Now. I don't know why, but that's quite a big song that a lot of people know even today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 1987 music, ones that stick out for me are With or Without You. Uh, Yeah, Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, huge song. Um, Yeah, I I quite liked Aerosmith. I liked when they came back in the 90s. But yeah, some of their 80s stuff is pretty good. Dude Looks Like a Lady is a pretty catchy song. I think that album was Permanent Vacation. Yeah. And for the 1997 music, uh, yeah, I remember all of these. Uh, the ones I think that you hear a lot nowadays are like, I believe I can fly. Although after this whole R. Kelly scandal breaking out in the last year or two, uh, I don't think you'll be hearing it quite as much as you did before. Um, Semi-Charm Kind of Life, that, that song I really loved when it came out. And Mbop was really big. And Sonny came home. Who the hell knows what that is? Yeah, I have no idea. Weird. Yeah. And finally, in some TV news and other events from 1987, 
in TV. The Simpsons first appeared on TV. And Fox Broadcasting Company made its primetime TV debut. And a popular TV show, Full House, debuted on ABC. A popular toy that was released in 1987, we had the first Final Fantasy video game that was released from Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan. Some technical breakthroughs from 1987, we had the first criminal convicted using DNA evidence in England. We had the first commercial distribution of disposable contact lenses. And the anti-AIDS drug AZT is approved by the FDA. And some popular news events from 1987. We had Aretha Franklin becoming the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The world stock market crash, which was or became known as Black Monday, happened in 1987. And an 18-month-old baby that fell into a well and was rescued in Texas, which had a lot of coverage on CNN and became known as Baby Jessica, happened in 1987. And some TV news and other events from 1997. For TV, we have The Simpsons surpassing The Flintstones as the longest-running primetime animated series in terms of episodes aired. The Ellen episode, The Puppy episode, is broadcast on ABC, showing for the first time the revelation of a main character as a homosexual. Chris Farley guest hosts SNL in what would turn out to be his final television appearance before his death on December 18, 1997. Popular toy release from 1997 include Tamagotchi, a digital pet toy that you had to feed and take care of or else it would, quote-unquote, die. Some technical breakthroughs of the year include the Mars Pathfinder landing on the surface of Mars, uh, scientists report their DNA analysis findings from a Neanderthal skeleton, which support the out-of-Africa theory of human evolution, placing an African Eve at 100,000 to 200,000 years ago. And the domain name for the web search engine Google is registered. Some popular news events in 1997 include the Heaven's Gate cultists committing mass suicide at their compound in San Diego. Timothy McVeigh was convicted on 15 counts of murder and conspiracy for his role in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. In the United Kingdom, the House of Commons votes for a total ban on handguns. And probably the biggest news event of the year, Diana, Princess of Wales, is taken to a hospital after a car accident shortly after midnight in the Pont d'Alma Road Tunnel in Paris. She is pronounced dead at 4 a.m. All right, I definitely remember the Princess Diana stuff. The royal couple were kind of, I would say, a big part of my whole childhood, you know, from their wedding, which we covered in the previous episode. So it might have been the first wedding I actually ever saw in my life. Really? Well, I was like fairly young. I don't recall going to any family weddings or anything mm -hmm. before that. But definitely the first and probably the only royal wedding that I ever saw or paid attention to. That was a big deal in Canada, too. Like, I remember my grandmother buying books of just, like, wedding photos from Princess Diane. Well, Canada was still very, I mean, still very British back in those days. Yeah. Remember, like, do you remember, like, I was saying before every class, we used to say the God saves the Queen. I remember you mentioning Stuff that. like that, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, just growing up with, the, you know, that couple, you know, always being covered on the news and stuff. Then their divorce after the year prior to this, right? Mm -hmm. And then her death, yeah, it was a, a big deal. And uh, the Heaven's Gate cultists, were they the ones that thought they were going to jump on a spaceship? 
Yeah, they like were, it was killing themselves, and they yeah the spaceship. You know, it, it apparently following Haley's comment, following Haley's Bob comment, and uh, there were like certain certain stipulations, like they had to sh- they all had to shave their heads, they all had to wear like a certain brand of Nike sneaker, they all had to have like a certain amount of money in their pocket. I think it was like seven or eight dollars or something like that. And they drank Kool Aid too, right? Uh, it wasn't Kool Aid. It was some kind of concoction. Well, yeah, yeah. What? Some kind of poisonous concoction. Kool-Aid. Yeah. Like, did you drink the Kool Aid? That's what that saying comes from. Right? right. Right. Or from the other one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember that. And actually, obviously, in that year, I think Haley's comet was the closest ever it had been. Yep. Passing the Earth, which is why that cult existed. Yeah, there's a pretty interesting podcast I listened to a while ago, like a mini series on the Heaven's Gate cultists. I'm pretty sure it's just called Heaven's Gate. And they talk about the history of the cult and like how it managed to get so many followers and like some of the bizarre things they did. Like some like the men in the cult were castrating themselves because they believed that, you know, getting rid of all these like earthly pleasures was necessary in order to board this, you know, spaceship. Yeah, I think when I hear that I would definitely I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, not part, I don't want to be a part of this. I also find it interesting with a lot of these episodes that we've done now, there always seems to be something in common with the 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. So like Simpsons first debuting on TV in 1987, yep. and then 1997, they surpassed the Flintstones with the number of episodes. Right. So that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the DNA is a pretty big deal. I mean, that's pretty much used in like every criminal case nowadays. Yeah, so the first DNA case was in England, or the first criminal to uh, be convicted using DNA. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, scientists used DNA to do the uh, the African Eve thing. Right. And also, obviously, knowing that Google first registered in 1997 is kind of interesting. Yep. Of course, there's a lot more music, movies, news events from both 1987 and 1997. So feel free to let us know about your favorites and your memories from these specific years in the comments below, wherever you find this podcast. We'd love to hear from you regarding these years and get your feedback. Now let's move on to the main topic of this episode. It's time for Battle of the Decade. Three, two, one. Battle of the Decade. Fight. I must break you. So for the battle of the decade in this episode and our main topic, we'll be fighting it out on which decade had the best arcade game as a child. Round one. Let's fight. Choose your fighter. So there are just so many arcade games to choose from from the 1980s. Some of the honorable mentions that I had were Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, Burger Time, Pole Position, Missile Command, Cubert, Centipede, Dig Dug, Frogger, Defender, Rampage, Street Fighter, Tron, and two of my favorite arcade games, Dragon's Lair and Galaga. But my choice for the best arcade game from the 1980s for me as a child was Double Dragon. It was one of the first beat-em-up games with a different level of violence that came out in 1987, released out of Japan, and a one- or two-player game that I remember pumping the most quarters in when I was younger. 
Before my choice for best arcade game from the 90s, I have some honorable mentions, which include Lethal Enforcers, Primal Rage, Daytona USA, Virtua Fighter 2, and NFL Blitz. But my pick for the best arcade game from the 1990s is Mortal Kombat. It made fatality a commonly appropriated buzzword for the perceived impact video game violence had on arcade-dwelling youth and became a pop culture reference. The game itself took moments to learn and a lifetime to master, offering a completely different aesthetic and combo system to absorb and remember. Round 2. Let's fight. Tell the tape. And some of the reasons why I picked Double Dragon, it was the first game I remember playing that had that kind of violence and a fighting game that you could also continue once the game was over. So it's one of the first games I remember that if you died, let's say, in the game, you could pump in another quarter and continue from where you left off. Like respawn. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the first arcade games that I remember playing that you could actually play with player two on the same team and work together in the game. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the graphics and the different level of gameplay compared to other games at that time. And it was the first game that I really became addicted to and just had to finish, regardless of how many quarters it cost to me. And some reasons why I chose Mortal Kombat include its characters, which were digitized from motion capture footage of martial arts actors. Uh, They looked realistic by the standards of the time. Their movements had a choppy quality, and the fighters never looked like they really inhabited their photorealistic settings. But Mortal Kombat's gory, lifelike gloom gave it a heavy metal album cover feel that set it apart from other fighting games. Mortal Kombat's brawlers bled, froze, and died in a number of explicit ways, ranging from brutal impalement into a pit of spikes to messy dismemberment. And the game's brawler invested its viscera with a panache that became the game's main draw, or main appeal. Round 3. Let's fight. Counterattack. Some things I remember about Mortal Kombat, it was definitely the most violent game that I've ever seen up until that point. Kind of like Double Dragon, but there's just a total difference in level of violence there. Mm Mm-hmm. And like you said, the phrases like uh, fatality, I think even more common phrase from that game was finish them. Right. Both phrases like that became so popular and they're, you know, still said today type thing. It was also the first game that made learning the moves for things like fatality a commonplace. I also remember like some spinoffs. Do you remember a game called Pit Fighter? No, I don't remember. It was a Sega game, so it used real... Like actors. Okay. Kind of like fighting in a pit type thing. Mm. But Mortal Kombat was a game I enjoyed playing. And even though I got my ass kicked most of the time, I even enjoyed seeing things like Fatality. And as much as I liked Mortal Kombat, I still enjoyed Double Dragon more because I liked the teamwork aspect of it and the story and advancing level to level even more than Mortal Kombat. All right, some of my thoughts on Double Dragon. I also enjoyed this game quite a lot. I never played it at the arcade per se. I would play it on my Super Nintendo gaming system. Uh, I also liked the fact that, you know, as a team, you, know, you work as a team with, uh, with player one and player two to fight off all these, all these ninjas coming to attack you. And then, you know, you face a big boss that you have to defeat together. Uh, the only qualm I have with that game is if you're playing it with someone else, the other person, you know, has to be kind of good or as good as you or better. If you're playing with someone who's not really familiar with the buttons or is not really good at gaming, it's kind of like they're dragging you down as you progress through the levels. 
But aside from that, I think it's a solid game. But I'd have to say Mortal Kombat was really cool for me at the time, you know, because uh, seeing all that gore and, as you said, like the fatalities and, you know, some of the characters turning the other ones into small little baby animals to kind of humiliate them towards the end of the levels, I thought was a lot more entertaining, a lot more appealing for me at the time. Round four. Let's fight. Final round. And finally, in the final round, again, some of the reasons I chose Double Dragon as my favorite arcade game as a child. Double Dragon was the first game I remember that you could continue by inserting a quarter to play or continue the game. I enjoyed the teamwork and playing along with player two to accomplish the same goal. It was the first arcade game that I actually got addicted to and would go out of my way to go to an arcade or somewhere that had the game. I probably spent the most money playing in comparison to other arcade games with Double Dragon. And obviously, I had the most fun playing this game when I was younger compared to other arcade games. And some final notes on Mortal Kombat. I thought that the game pointed the way forward. Uh, It was, mechanically speaking, not all that different from the hottest Japanese arcade games of the time. However, no one would mistake Mortal Kombat's grainy, gritty, digitized visuals and blood-soaked effects for something from Nintendo or Sega. Mortal Kombat became a huge hit on its own terms, both in its sequel rank among the 10 most successful arcade games of all time. I thought it was fun. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, At any time when I was, you know, hanging out with my friends, it was probably, you know, number one on our list of things to do. And those are some of the reasons why I choose Mortal Kombat as the best arcade game. And it's still around today. It is. I haven't played the... Is it 11 now? I haven't played 11, but I've I've heard good things. And Double Dragon is not around. No. (laughs) Remember, you can vote on which of these arcade games you thought was better in the poll in the above top right corner here on YouTube, or on any of our social media at 10 Years Apart Pod, or at our website, 10yearsapart.com. And finally, on this episode of 10 Years Apart, we're going to look back at a 1990s shoe fad... That was known as the Reebok Pump Sneakers. Could they make a comeback? Why did they fade away? It's time for Would That Fly Today. Would That Fly Today? The Reebok Pump Sneakers, a shoe fad that has been around in previous decades, first were released in 1989, but most popular in the 1990s. Pump up and air out. Adam. Do you remember the Reebok Pump Sneakers? I remember the design, and I immediately wanted them after seeing them on TV, in a TV commercial. Uh, I really like the design because you're able to pump air into the bladder of the sneaker, and so that the sneaker would kind of swell, and it would provide better ankle support. Uh, A lot of people thought it prevented injuries, but, you know, the company never really boasted for that, for obviously for legal reasons. Uh, But yeah, I remember them quite well. I remember wanting them as soon as I saw them. How about you? Do you remember the Reebok Pump Sneakers? I remember a lot of the commercials for the shoe and NBA stars using them. Or it was probably one of the first shoes that started sponsoring NBA players, maybe. I didn't have a pair of Reebok Pump basketball shoes, but I actually had a pair of Reebok Pump tennis shoes. I was really into tennis at that time and played tennis almost daily. Mm-hmm. And remember buying and wearing my tennis pumps with the pump on the tongue of the shoe being a tennis ball. Okay, I see mine was a basketball. Right. I guess it depended on the sport or yeah. whatever. 
I enjoyed my tennis pumps and felt like they gave me an advantage. Whether it was psychological or not, I don't know, but I felt like I uh, had better support and played better with them. So why do you think the Reebok pump sneakers faded away? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it was an iconic basketball shoe for that time. Uh, but I think just like many other fads, it just kind of fizzled out with time. Uh, maybe they lost their appeal. Maybe they thought people thought the design was kind of stupid after a number of years. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why it faded away, but I know that uh, people aren't really wearing them nowadays. Why do you think that Reebok pump sneakers faded away? Uh, I think they've always kind of been around, like some other things. Like they might still exist today, but are just not popular anymore. In a way, they were just kind of, in in thinking back on it, they were just kind of lazier. It was like an easier way of just tightening up your shoes Mm -hmm. instead of having to uh, tie them really tight, let's say. Yeah. And I think it was only the tongue of the shoe that expanded, pumped air into it. Yeah. It was more like pushing down onto your foot, not really ankle support. Okay. So I think in marketing for the for Reebok itself, I mean, they just had to uh, maybe pay too much for the superstar athlete to wear them or endorse them type thing. Product placement. And it was also a sneaker that didn't work for the average day running shoe. And I think the cost wasn't beneficial really unless you use them for actually playing a sport type thing. They might have been cool just, you know, wearing them to school type thing, but don't think they were very beneficial just for a day-to-day shoe. So do you think the Reebok pumps would fly today? Well, fads often make a comeback at some point. I can see the Reebok pump making a comeback because of its retro appeal. You know, people might look at it and think, oh, that looks kind of cool. You know, a lot of these retro designs that you see pop up here and there as the years go by. Um, I I don't see why Reebok pumps would be left out of that kind of thing. But uh, how about you? What do you think? Do you think that Reebok pumps could fly today? I think they could, could make a comeback if you got the right athletes and stars to promote it type thing. The marketing would have to be geared towards the sports it may be useful for. So, again, like tennis pumps for tennis, basketball pumps for basketball. I don't know if it would work with skates for, like, ice hockey or not, but uh, who knows. They would have to have, a like, a, a cool look and a production cost that was worthwhile for Reebok to kind of bring back. So, like, I don't know if they cost more to make or, you know, we're... A little bit more of a pain in the ass to make, having to put that into the shoe. But at a reasonable cost, with a cool look, along with the whole gimmick of the whole thing, it could work. Also, give us your feedback on the Reebok Pump Sneaker in the comments below. You can also share with us your memories of the Reebok Pump Sneakers on our social media at 10 Years Apart Pod or at our website 10yearsapart.com. Reebok Pump Sneakers. Did you have them? Would they fly today? Yes. Sure. Well, that's it for this episode of 10 Years Apart. Thanks for listening, and you can now help us out by helping us decide which decade had the best arcade game. Just head over to our website at 10yearsapart.com or any of our social media at 10 Years Apart Pod and vote right now. Leave us your comments and thoughts below wherever you find this podcast. Join us again next week when we talk about which decade had the best Saturday morning cartoon. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast here on YouTube so you never miss an episode.
If you came across this episode and enjoyed it, please hit that like button. Subscribe to us here on YouTube for the latest videos and don't forget to share. Sharing really helps us out. And once again, find us at 10yearsapart.com or any social media at 10yearsapartpod. Stop by, vote, and let us know some of your stories from the 1980s and 1990s. Remember to like, subscribe, share, and leave us your comments wherever you found this podcast. And thanks again for tuning into the past with us here on 10 Years Apart.